session with Dr. Farid Hulak. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 3104410555. Before I talk about uh, the book of the week from last week, I wanted to announce the book of the week for this week. It is Originals by Adam Grant. Originals: How Nonconformists Move the World by Adam Grant, and this is another book I haven't read. And going against the advice we'd get as kids, I do judge a lot of books by their covers because I don't know much about them. But looking at the titles and reading a little bit about them, I choose some books here and there. So looking forward to reading that this week and sharing it with you on next Monday night's show. But the book of the week from uh, this past week, which I'll talk about tonight, was one I wanted to read for quite some time. And that was the book The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And this book was written, I think it was 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's becoming even more, I think, necessary for us to become aware of what the book talks about because we're seeing how polarized things are becoming politically, especially here in the United States. I see it where my whole life I saw liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats being basically opponents or enemies, but I think it's become become even more heated and people are even more uh, unwilling to listen to the other side. And rather than just thinking we disagree, uh, we have different perspectives, different points of view, people are saying, you guys are idiots, you guys are stupid, you are immoral, you hate America or you hate people or you hate something. But basically it's not just that we disagree, it's that the other side is bad, immoral, stupid, illogical, uh, all of the above. And, and this book helps illustrate why that might be the case. The Righteous Mind, he talks about how we essentially are predisposed or in some way there's an innate sense of having a righteousness in the things that we think are morally right. But the thing is, it's not that some of us are moral and other people are immoral, but as he talks about there are different types of morality or moral matrices that people might value more than others. And so there might be some that you value more than someone else, but when you value something, you think that is very important, obviously. And if someone values something else that you don't value, to you that seems very stupid, illogical, and not worth caring about. And so the things they might care about might seem stupid to you. Um, and if they value those things over the things that you think are important, that makes them to you immoral because they're not caring about the things that you think are moral issues or the ones that we should care about. Um, so one very important point, uh, he makes a few or many throughout the book, so I'd highly recommend this one. Um, it really gave me some perspectives 
on things that I that were really valuable. So I hope you will read this, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Uh, one very important point that he makes, and it comes with an analogy, um, is this idea that we tend to think that when it comes to moral issues, political issues, we're very rational beings who think about things and weigh the different pros and cons and the different issues related to some whatever the the concept might be and then we come to a decision and then we believe that or we support that whether it's like things like abortion gay rights whatever it might be we think it's a moral uh, it's a logical and rational thought process but what he says is that intuitions come first strategic reasoning comes second meaning that what actually is happening most of the time is you're having a feeling about the issue, like a gut instinct reaction to it. And then the reasoning comes second. And he has several uh, analogies for this. The main one he uses is that your emotional side, that gut intuition is like the elephant. And then you, the reasoning part of you is like the rider on top of that elephant. And really the elephant goes where it wants to go. And the rider has very little say but the writer thinks it has a lot of say, and as he puts it, the writer is kind of like a lawyer or a press secretary trying to explain what the elephant is doing. So you have a reaction to something. Someone says, abortion, what do you think? And really what maybe we should ask is, what do you feel? But we say, what do you think? And you instinct, instantly have an emotional reaction. And then once you have that reaction, you try to explain why that's the case. It's post hoc. It's after the fact that you are coming up with these reasons. In our brain, it doesn't feel that way. We think, well, no, I think all these things, so that's why I've come to this conclusion, but we don't realize we're really feeling things. And he's done a lot of very interesting research to show that sometimes we can give people a scenario. For example, um, one of them that he has is of a brother and sister have consensual sex. And I'm sure just hearing that a lot of people have a reaction, and that's what we're talking about, some kind of emotional reaction. But then when people say it's wrong, he would challenge them or whoever was doing the research would challenge them if he had research assistants working with him, the reasons why they said it was wrong. And even once they took away all their reasons, people still said it's still wrong. They just could, they couldn't think of the why. They couldn't come up with a reason anymore or to, to negate the reasons that they'd given um, and been uh, somehow shown maybe that was not the case in this situation. For example, well, if a brother and sister have a kid, there's going to be something wrong with the kid. But he said they use birth control of multiple kinds, so that's not an issue. But people would still keep saying, yeah, but it's still wrong. And he come, came up with a term he calls moral dumbfounding, when people can't explain why they think something is wrong, which really it shows it's more that they feel something is wrong. It just doesn't feel right. And after the fact, we come up with reasons. So this is a very important one because I think this is something I see in general with people that we like to think we're very rational beings. And a lot of people, you'll hear them say being emotional is stupid, it's irrational, and that I'm rational. I'm not emotional at all. Everything I do is logical. And when I hear people say this, I all I hear is that they're absolutely out of touch with themselves and especially their emotions because they have no idea how much their feelings are running the show much more than they realize. So they might think that they're having no effect, but actually it's just they're being unaware of it, which is even worse 
It's just like if someone tells me I have no psychological issues or no medical health issues, I have perfect health. It's not that you think they have perfect health. You realize that they're not assessing right. So it's less about what they're telling you about themselves and the actual situation and more about how out of touch they are about what's going on. So I think it's important for us to realize how much we might not be aware of what's going on. And I've shared other books that looked at the power of the unconscious mind, that we don't realize the things that are happening in a way behind the scenes in our brain that are making decisions or coming up with ways of looking at things, but we think we're just having a very logical approach to things. So even something as important as um, abortion or gun laws, immigration reform, all of these things that we think are purely logical conquests are much more of an emotional reaction, a gut instinct reaction that we then explain. And this is why when you try to give people reasons to change their mind, it usually doesn't work. As he says, you have to essentially convince the elephant, not the rider, because it's the elephant that really makes the decision. It's the emotional gut instinct that is driving what they believe. So if you try to just approach things with reason, it usually doesn't work. But it can help when we talk to each other. That's something he mentions throughout the book. We can affect each other. So it's not that if you have an intuitive response to something, it will be that way for the rest of your life. It can change. But first we have to have this awareness that it's more about our emotional side that's coming up, our feeling that's making the decision when it comes to political or moral issues, not our logical or reasoning side. And to give an example of how biased we are or how these biases take place, he shared something that I thought was really interesting, uh, this idea that when sometimes we want to believe something and sometimes we don't. So if I tell you, a politician that you really like, or if you're a very hardcore liberal or hardcore Republican, I say someone from your quote-unquote team said this, we're very good at coming up with reasons to support that. Or if we hear a rumor about a candidate we like that's negative, we're very easily going to get rid of that rumor. And if it's a rumor about the other side, we're going to be much quicker to believe it. And he shared something which is the difference between can and must. So basically, when we want to believe something, we ask ourselves, can I believe it? So if we want to know, for example, of UFO abductions and you want to believe it, if you already have that emotional, intuitive response of wanting to believe it's true, you ask yourself, can I believe it? And all you have to do is find one piece of evidence that supports that it can be true and then you'll believe it. Yeah, it can be true, so I believe it. But on the other side, if we don't want to believe something, we use the word must in our head. Must I believe it? And all you have to do to prove that is you have to prove one thing showing that it's not true or that can create any kind of doubt. And you say, no, I, it's not that I must believe it, so I don't believe it. So we see that when we want to believe something, we can make it very easy. All we have to do is find one piece of evidence. And when we don't want to believe something, all we have to say is, do I have to believe it? And that's almost never going to be the case either. So when you hear something and you don't want to believe it, we're very good at thinking, I logically thought about it and I realize I don't believe this. And if we want to believe it, we again think, I logically thought about it and I believe it. But we don't recognize how much our biases are playing a big role and that we're being in a way our gut instinct is doing a lot of the deciding. So the first thing was this idea that it's more our intuitions first and the reasoning comes second. 
The second uh, big theme he talks about in the book is that he says there's more to morality than harm and fairness. Now, this comes to this idea that many people think that morality is just uh, a few things. And he actually argues against that, that he says if anyone tells you that morality comes down to one principle, he doesn't agree with that. And doing lots of cross-cultural research and having lots of people take various surveys, he says rather than there just being one or two things um, that account for morality, there's six different matrix matrices or six different foundations um, of morality that people show around the world, and different people might care about different things to different degrees, um, but neither one of them or neither of them are good or bad or more important than others. It just depends on which ones you value. And he says that many people on the left, they tend to value actually a few of these six, and that he thinks is actually a disadvantage for the Democrats, uh, for example, here in the United States, that they care more about care and harm and liberty versus oppression, uh, and a little bit about fairness versus cheating, those three. But especially care versus harm is their biggest moral foundation. And this is why those on the left care a lot about victims or apparent victims and helping those people. To them, that's the most important thing. So this is why we can see with an issue like immigration, if they're refugees, the left is going to think, of course, help them. There's people in need. We should help victims. But people on the right, it's not that they don't care about this uh, foundation. They still do, but they care about it less, but they value other ones as well. So they they can they care about the care and the harm, liberty versus uh, oppression, fairness versus cheating. But then there's three other ones that they also care about, loyalty versus betrayal. And that's something we see a lot on uh, the political right here in the United States. Authority having some value is another one they value. Um, and sanctity versus degradation, that some things just are sanctified. For example, here in the United States, you'll hear a lot about the flag or the national anthem recently has become something big. And they'll value things like that. So he mentions that it's not that one group is moral and the other is immoral, but that they might value different things. And as I mentioned the beginning of the segment, if someone values something that you don't value, or also if they don't value something you think is very important to you, they come off as immoral. And so this righteous mind of ours looks down at those people and thinks they're less than us. They're immoral. They're crazy. They don't think about things, but we don't recognize is that we care about certain things that other people might not care about. So it was really interesting and fascinating for me to see as he, in a way, outlines um, you can almost say the psychology of the left and the right, especially here in the United States, but really it translates to most countries and cultures. Uh, and you see that it's not that people are good or bad, it's that they value different things. And you can understand that better when you see um, what they care about and that those things matter to them and it, they, these things can matter. That's another thing, is that you might think these things don't matter, but in the book he outlines how these values do contribute to society in some way. They aren't all bad, um, or only some of them are important. So rather than looking at the other side as crazy and stupid and immoral, we can recognize that maybe they just value things differently from me, and I can try to understand that. And that's a big thing, is that we have to try to understand one another, not just think the other side is stupid, but realize, wait, maybe there's something they see that I don't see, or their perspective is different, but they're not bad people, and I can actually recognize that. 
Um, there's a third uh, big point that he makes, which is that morality binds and blinds. And so by this, he means that when we find our group and we feel that this is the right way of being, we bind to that and we're also blinded. So we, we, we favor our in-group, but we also get blinded to the other side and what they think and what's going on there. And so this contributes further to the divisions that we see, for example, politically, because people cling to their group, support their group, and they see the other group as immoral and wrong and can't see their side. And so one of the things we have to try to do is recognize that even though people who have opposing views from us might seem like they're missing everything, and especially to us missing what's important, we can recognize that it might be that they just value different things. And let's see if we can have conversations, which I think is so important. And it's very cliche because you hear a lot of people talking about it, but I think there's a lot of truth to that, that we can't just keep dividing and getting further apart from each other. We have to recognize that neither side is evil or bad or immoral, but that people have different things that they value. And rather than trying to dismiss a whole group of people, we should try to understand one another more and have conversations and actually not just conversations because if we just try to convince each other that's not good but he actually talks about if we connect to each other have social relationships uh, we'll feel differently about each other too and i think that's very very important that we don't just try to convince each other because we do that already you go on uh, facebook go on any political video and read the comment section and you'll probably feel a lot worse about humanity as you see people arguing and yelling and saying mean things to each other because if we try to convince each other just using reasoning you're not going to get anywhere and also i think the hostility you see shows how much people um, have this righteousness that i believe this because i'm a good moral intelligent human being you disagree because you're stupid and immoral and illogical and you're only using emotion and that's not the case and he does give a criticism also to psychologists or um academia in general that tends to be more left-leaning that throughout recent time when they've done research on republicans and democrats they've maybe shown their bias by trying to say that people on the right were either emotional or doing this or doing that but somehow putting down what they believed rather than saying maybe it's more about different rather than right or wrong good or bad so i really enjoyed this book uh the righteous mind by jonathan Haidt. it really is i think enlightening for what's happening right now and giving you a better idea of what's going on and why we are having such a hard time getting along and understanding one another. And I think also gives you some perspective into how you might be more biased than you realize in the ways that you think about things. And that's also something I experienced reading that book. So I hope you'll check that out, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on Monday's show next week is Originals by Adam Grant. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, wanted to talk about, and I got a few questions on Instagram and I might get to one of those for the last segment. Um, but wanted to talk about something that came to my mind recently. Um, so we hear a lot of people talk about walking in someone else's shoes when we talk about empathy and 
I think that can be very good and we can work on that. Although I did read the book and talk about it on the show Against Empathy by Paul Bloom, where he was arguing that empathy can get us in trouble and there was some points he was making, but I'm going to leave that aside for now. But this idea of empathy, being able to walk in someone else's shoes, and it even relates to what I was talking about in the first segment, the book, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, this idea that we want to be able to see things from someone else's perspective, even if we don't agree with them, even if we see things very differently, it can be helpful to try to understand it. And a good place to start is to think that they're not crazy to think what they're thinking, or they're not immoral or illogical. Maybe there's some reasoning to it or some values that I might not have that they have that can be important for me to think about. But today I wanted to talk about it in a different sense, coming to romantic relationships. And rather than walking in someone else's shoes, um, this might sound a little bit weird, but what's important for us to do in a romantic relationship is to wear our partner's ears. And I know that can sound weird to wear your partner's ears. So what do I think or what do I mean by that? Um, what I mean is that we want to think about when we're talking, how our words, how our phrases, the words we use, the topics we bring up, how that's going to affect our partner or essentially when I say wear their ears, how are they going to hear what we are saying? How are they going to understand what we say or take it in? And so I'm all about an idea that we should be open with our partners and be able to talk about things. Absolutely. But at the same time, we should have an awareness of what our partner likes to talk about, what our partner doesn't like to talk about, and specifically, what are my partner's sensitivities, weaknesses, and values, and how might that, that affect what I'm saying? Because, for example, you might not have any intention in what you're saying, but because of your partner and how he or she feels or thinks about certain things, they might hear it very differently. And that's where you have to make sure you're thinking about that when you're talking. So, for example, if your partner has a sensitivity to their height and you know that they've shared it with you, that I'm insecure about my height or um, I don't like my height or whatever it might be. And if you're going to talk about someone who's tall, let's say, or something related to people's height or your own height or your partner's height, you should have a little bit of almost a radar that comes on within yourself of, okay, tread carefully, or maybe not even bring up this topic, but if it does come up, be aware of how you're going to bring it up. Or if your partner is very, let's say, jealous and has insecurities when it comes to other people's wealth and afraid of losing you to that, be aware of when you're talking about other people's wealth, especially let's say if you're a woman and we're talking about your boyfriend or husband, other wealth of other people, that you're aware that he might be sensitive to this. So when you bring it up, you have that in your mind that even though you have no intention, let's say you talk about, oh, so-and-so just made $20 million doing blah, 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 even if it's like a celebrity or if let's say a family friend or your own family member, whatever it is, that even though you have no intention, you're not thinking about this other person in any way, that your partner is sensitive to this and that's not going to feel good to them. So if I'm wearing my partner's ears, the better I get to know them over time, I realize how he or she wants me to talk about certain things or not talk about certain things and how they're going to hear it. And that's the part we want to try to get to. When we say walk in someone else's shoes, it's trying to understand what they're going through. So when I say wear your partner's ears, it means that when you say something, how does your partner hear it? 
how are they going to take it in? And I'm by no means saying that you're 100% responsible for what your partner feels about everything you say. Inevitably, we see in relationships that people, even if they are trying to be sensitive, they'll still say things the other person doesn't like. Maybe they don't realize it. Maybe they're not aware. Maybe in a moment they said something that they would have realized the partner wouldn't have liked if they thought about it more carefully. That's going to happen. So I'm not saying you are 100% responsible for what your partner feels. But if we love this other person we're with, we want to be aware of how what we're saying is going to affect them. We want to care about them in that way. To think not just I'm going to care about you after something happens, but I'm aware of even preventing you from getting hurt. An analogy we can use is if the physical body, and here we're talking in a way about our emotional body, our psyche. If someone has a bad elbow, if you know your partner has a bad elbow, you're not going to bump up against that elbow the way you would against their other elbow that isn't let's say, hurt or injured. You're going to be aware of that. Or you're not going to ask them to lift something that you know they're going to use their elbow and their elbow is hurting. You have that awareness of that sensitivity that they're having. Let's say it's a temporary thing or we can say it's a permanent thing. You have an awareness of that pain they have or that weakness that they have. And you're going to be mindful of that and how you interact with them. And also not trying to bring it up or make them feel bad about what they're missing. So you're not going to say, oh, can you help lift this over your head? Oh yeah, you can't because you have that bad elbow. You're going to be aware of that's, that would maybe hurt them emotionally, or you're not going to put something against that arm that you know is hurting and put a lot of weight on it because you know that they're sensitive. So similarly that we can be aware of a physical sensitivity or weakness as a loving partner, we want to be aware of the emotional sensitivities or weaknesses and vulnerabilities that our partner might have. And this is something I've brought up before, and I'll mention it here as in talking about this, that this is another reason why it's important for us to communicate these things with each other, to let your partner know, you know, I have an insecurity about this, and that's something that should come up. I've, I'm insecure about this part of myself, or my past, or my this, or my that, or I'm sensitive about you doing this, or whatever it might be. We want to let our partner know. First of all, so they're aware of that, because then they can... Um, be aware of what they do and how they act and what they say in relation to that, but also to give them the idea that I recognize I have this issue. So I know I'm sensitive to it. So when it comes up, um, I know it's partially me, but I want you to be aware of it. And that could facilitate future conversations where even let's say your partner says something, you say, you know, I know this is my sensitivity, but when you talk about this, it hurts my feelings or it doesn't feel good or it makes me feel this way and communicate that. And now what's also important is that when we have this communication, what we see happens is that if you tell your partner, I'm sensitive about this, and then they either, let's say, do something or they say something that rubs against that sensitivity, now the partner doesn't just feel upset about what they're feeling in that moment. They might also feel hurt that I told you I care about this and it seemed like you didn't care or you were careless or didn't keep me in mind because you said this or you did this and that doesn't feel good. So it's not just that you rubbed up against their elbow. It's that they told you their elbow was hurt, but you kept pushing up against it, even though they felt you knew that that would hurt them. So it's almost like you knew something would hurt them, but you did it anyway. So we want to be sensitive to our partner's feelings all the time and be aware of them, but especially when it comes to these things related to insecurities, weaknesses, vulnerabilities that they have and that they've shared with us, we want to try to wear our partner's ears when we're talking to them 
and that if we're going towards what we know might be a sensitive topic, think, even though I know this is not important, this is not what I mean, I don't care, but my partner might care. So how might he or she hear what I'm saying about this? How can I be mindful of not upsetting him or her? And even afterwards, you might talk about it and say, you know, I know you don't like that, this topic, but I don't know if what I said offended you or upset you, just checking in so you can communicate about that. And some people might think this is too much or being too sensitive or we shouldn't be, uh, we should be stronger than this. And to a degree, yes, it would be nice, but we all have insecurities and weaknesses and things that we're sensitive about. Just like the physical body, you can say, well, yeah, your, your elbow shouldn't hurt. Your elbow should be okay. Yeah, it would be better if it was okay. And in perfect health, your elbow would be okay. But no one has perfect health. Everyone has something. Everyone is dealing with something and we want to be mindful and care about that. And if we care about our partner, we want to do that. And also when it comes to insecurities, sensitivities, weaknesses, when we look at somebody else's, it's very easy for us to be dismissive of them. And to think they're stupid or, um, or you know, not a big deal or why do you care about that? But insecurities and weaknesses and these types of things or even like let's say a phobia or something we're afraid of, they're almost by definition irrational. So the person is saying, look, I know I'm too sensitive about this, but that's kind of how I react to this. And also I should add, it's not good enough to say this is how I am. We should be trying to work on ourselves through therapy and self-reflection or whatever else we can do to improve. So it's not just, I'm sensitive about this, that's it. I want to work on it because I don't want to be this way for myself and for you and us. Um, but So they're responsible in that way, but we can't just say, well, it's stupid, so you shouldn't care. Because anyone's problem or issue from the outside is very easy. If you're not an alcoholic, it's very easy to tell someone, you know what, all you got to do is stop drinking alcohol. Just don't do that anymore. It's very easy. If you're someone who... Um, has a fear of failure, it's very easy to say, hey, just don't be afraid of it. Go do it. It's not scary. Just fail. Everyone should fail and approach it from a logical way. And this way kind of relates to the book again, this idea of the righteous mind that we think of everything in logical ways and don't see the big role that our emotions play. When something doesn't affect us and we don't have a big care about it, we don't really care about the thing, it's very easy just to think of it in a logical way, especially when it's someone else, because we don't even know how we would act in the situation. So it's another reminder to not be judgmental of people and what they're going through. Because, yeah, someone says, you know, I'm sensitive, I said, about my height. And someone says, who cares about height? I would never care about my height. But I bet you there's something you care about too much or that affects you more than it needs to. Because you're a human being too, and you're going to have something. So that might not be your insecurity or weakness, or you might not care about that. But there's almost definitely going to be something else that you do care about. And so we want to have that openness. And actually, the more in touch we are with our own issues, the more sensitive we can be to other people. Because again, that person who thinks I have no issues is also going to be insensitive to other people's issues. They're not sensitive to their own. They're not sensitive to others. But when I recognize my own pain, when I recognize my own insecurities, my own weaknesses that I have and recognize, oh, I have these and they don't feel very good and I seem to not be able to change them or I seem like I can't get around them or I don't know what to do about them. Then when I hear that someone else has an insecurity or sensitivity, even if it's not one I have or something I care about, I can understand how that feels or I can respect that and have appreciation for that. Okay, that's for them very important. So as a partner, it's good to be in touch with ourselves and what we're going through and what we have going on because when we're in touch with our pain, when we're in touch with those things about ourselves, 
it allows us to be more sensitive to someone else. But when we try to dismiss our own pain, dismiss our own sensitivities, we do that to someone else. So if your partner is sad and you think they shouldn't be sad because they're being, to you, sensitive, a lot of that can be from the fact that you're not in touch with your own pain to realize, you know what, sometimes I get sad about things that maybe aren't a big deal or to someone else might not seem like a big deal. But in this case, this is what brought my partner down. Let me show that I care. So if you can, try to remember to wear your partner's ears. Be aware of what you're saying and how it's going to sound to them. How are they hearing it? Not what you even mean or what you think, but how are they going to hear what I am saying? Because I want to be aware of how it's going to affect them. Because if I love them, I want to be aware of the effect my words has on them. So wear your partner's ears just like we try to walk in each other's shoes. All right, going into our last commercial break, studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So for the last segment, I wanted to take a question from Instagram. So sometimes on my Instagram page, underscore Dr. Farid, doctor, underscore, I think that's how you say it. If you search uh, Dr. Farid Talk, you'll get it. I'll ask people to give me uh, potential topics for the show. And I got many questions, so thank you for everyone who did submit. But I wanted to look at one of them. This is from X May Linda X. And... Uh, I guess she has, in a way, two questions. The first one is, when and how should you define a relationship? Uh, So my guess is that she's talking about uh, romantic relationships. And I am a big believer on clarity and trying to create clarity when you are dating someone. And in today's day and age, in lots of places, that people are dating more than one person at a time, at least sometimes. And they're maybe on dating apps or they're uh, dating or talking to a few people. And once they start to go on some dates with someone, there could become a time or I think there definitely should be a time when they become exclusive with that person. Now, of course, this is if you are looking for something serious. If you don't want something serious, then you might not ever want to become exclusive. But nonetheless, communicating that to the person or persons that you're dating would be to me, very important. So you start to date someone and I don't want to give exact number of dates because it could depend on how uh, close together they are. Sometimes you might go on a date with someone once a month or even more infrequently in some weird cases, or you might be going every week or twice a week. But I think it's important to have this conversation once you feel ready for it. And people shy away from the conversation. Uh, We have the talk, we talk about parents and their kids talking about sex, but in relationships, sometimes this is the talk or the first of the talk that you have, which is talking about what, what's going on here. What do we have? Are we um, exclusive? Do you want to be in a relationship? And this is one that most people avoid. To begin with, before you get to this point, I think early on in the dating first date, second date, you should make it clear what you're looking for or have a conversation about that. Uh, And it doesn't mean you're telling the other person, for example, I want to be serious with you, but you're just bringing up if that's what you want, that what I'm looking for is to start dating someone towards getting serious and let's say going towards marriage, if that's what you want. And if 
You don't want that, also let the person know. You know it where I am in my life right now. I'm not looking for a serious relationship. I just want a casual relationship. Um, I'm not, maybe you might even say if that this is what's true for you. I don't think I ever want to get married, for example, or I don't want kids or I don't want this. Be clear about what you want. And even in this first or second date conversation, people will be afraid to bring it up. Or especially I'll hear more often women saying they might not like to bring it up because they think it might scare the guy away or they're going to look like they're needy or wanting too much or whatever it is, like they feel like they're being annoying by bringing up this awkward conversation. But to me, uh, there's a few things. First of all, it's important to get clarity and you deserve that. If you're a man or woman, you deserve to have that clarity and to ask for that is not to me something bad. And also if the person can't even handle this conversation, to me, they're not someone that's going to be able to handle really being in a relationship or having a really close intimate relationship where you're going to have much harder conversations than this. So if they can't even handle talking about what they're looking for and that makes them so uncomfortable, um, then well, they're probably not going to be someone who could handle much of a relationship. Secondly, or also another important point to me is that when people tend to not want to answer this question, a lot of times it's because they think you might not like their genuine answer. So if you're dating someone or you go on a first date and you want something serious and they're just looking for something casual, and especially if they're looking for a sexual relationship, they might not want to answer this question because they might think if they genuinely answer it and they say they want something casual, the relationship won't go further and they might not get what they want from the relationship. So that's why they might not want to answer it. And to me, when people, when you ask them, what are you looking for? When someone gives an answer of, well, let's just see what happens and we don't know and you never know and life is short and they give you these very cliche and uh, vague responses, usually means they don't want something serious. And they're saying that to make sure they don't completely scare you away if you're looking for something serious, but they want to keep it in a way open, but they're not being clear. So if you get that response, I don't know, and you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes people click and sometimes hearts collide. I don't know, whatever they might be telling you, that probably means I'm not looking for something serious because if they are, they can say, you know, if it's the right person, I want something serious. And again, you're not saying you and me should have something serious because you can't say that on the first or second date. You're saying, what are you looking for in general when it comes to dating at this time? What is your purpose? What is your intention? And that clarity is very important. So there's that part that should be made clear early on. But then once you go on some dates, if you start to feel like, you know what, I'm starting to have feelings for this person. I'm feeling a connection with them. And maybe you even start to realize if you were talking to other people, you don't want to really talk to them anymore. Or you don't have really a strong desire to go on dates or to text or talk with someone else. That might give you an idea of you're ready to be exclusive with this person. Maybe it's after six, seven dates. Maybe it's a little bit later than that. Maybe even a little bit earlier, but probably not after a little while of knowing each other, should you be asking for that? Because if it's after one or two dates, you're saying you have to be exclusive, that might be coming more from a place of wanting to control them and being afraid of losing them than genuinely it being the right time to make that decision. But let's say you've went on five, six dates, you guys are starting to connect and get closer. And again, the reason why I think you have to be careful about the number of dates is maybe you go on five, six dates, but in between you barely talk at all. 
and there's very little connection being made and the dates are short. So don't just go based on a number. It's based on how you're feeling with that person. But once you get to that point, it can be important to bring this up. And again, this is another one of those very difficult, uncomfortable conversations for most people. But just because it's difficult and uncomfortable doesn't mean we shouldn't have it. If anything, it actually means we should have it even more because it's important. We need to have that conversation. And it's difficult on multiple levels. One, as I was mentioning earlier, we don't like to bring up an awkward conversation for ourselves. And also we think the other person's not going to like it and might not maybe even like us because of it. So we don't like to bring it up. Another reason is we're afraid to hear the answer. If you are really into this person and you've decided on your own that you want to be exclusive with them so you stop talking to other people, you may be afraid to ask them and find out maybe they're still dating other people or that they don't feel the same way. That's always going to be a little bit scary to ask someone how they feel and really look at what's there. It's like if you go get a blood test or an MRI, sometimes it's scary to see what's actually there, but we can't let the fear win. We can't avoid finding the truth because we're scared to see what's on the other side. We have to look at it. So I get it. We maybe don't want to ask, but that's us saying I'd rather be in denial and not know rather than know where I stand and either know, okay, this is not good and I should move on. Or actually, I can have a sense of relief that this is good and we're building something. So we might be afraid to hear um, what they have to say, but we have to not allow that to make us not bring it up and ask. So that's another big reason why people don't want to ask is that they're afraid of the answer. But the reason why I think it's very important is that I think relationships are very difficult no matter what, even with everything communicated clearly. But I've seen it far too many times when people are on a different page when it comes to where they are in the relationship and it leads to pain or even the relationship or the dating ending. Because sometimes people think, well, because of the way we talk and how much we talk, there's no way he or she's talking to anyone else or going on any other dates. It just seems like I can feel it. But then they find out it wasn't true. And that can feel, that can be heartbreaking and even feel like they're being cheated on even though really you're not, because to me, cheating means breaking an agreement that was made. So it's not like um, anything you do is cheating. Even people can have an open relationship. So you can be married and still date and have sex with other people. If both of you are okay with that, that wouldn't to me be cheating. Cheating is somehow breaking the agreement or arrangement you have with someone. So if you haven't talked about being exclusive and someone is still talking to other people, then that's not cheating. But if you've talked about it and said, we're going to be exclusive and now they're still going on dates, then that is cheating. Even if it's early in the relationship, that would be a form of being unfaithful. And so we can't expect something from someone unless we've made it clear what we're expecting and what we're giving and what we are having with that person. So that's why I think it is very important that once you're feeling that way to not just assume, and I've seen it happen again, people assume and then they later find out, even maybe they enter a relationship, that early on in a time when they thought they were exclusive, the person was still going on dates with people and they feel heartbroken. And now all of a sudden, weeks or months later, they're having issues related to trust because now they're like, I thought I knew you or I thought this is how things were, but it turns out it wasn't the case and now I'm not sure if I can trust you anymore. And this is a big problem. So we have to be willing to have these types of conversations and to me, this is a big one about being exclusive that happens early on in dating, one that most people avoid because they're 
afraid to bring up the uncomfortable conversation. Again, not to generalize, but I see it more that girls feel like they shouldn't bring it up because they're going to put pressure on the guy. Um, but to me, if a guy can't handle these conversations, guy or girl, but if someone can't handle these conversations, they are probably not someone who's going to be a great partner, who's going to be able to have the conversations and the communication you're going to need to have a healthy and strong relationship. You're going to have to have lots of uncomfortable conversations in order to keep the relationship going and to stay uh, in a healthy space. So don't be afraid to bring it up because they won't like it. And you might not even like it when you think about bringing it up, bringing it up, but you have to do it anyway. Just because something's uncomfortable doesn't mean we avoid it. We recognize its value and we want to bring it up. And then later on, people have, you know, different terms of being in a relationship versus boyfriend and girlfriend. And sometimes these differ from person to person, culture to culture. And it can even be important to talk about those things because for some people, boyfriend and girlfriend has a very important meaning that being even exclusive doesn't. So they don't mind being exclusive, but saying boyfriend and girlfriend is not something they're comfortable with. And to someone else, those things might be interchangeable, that they might think, well, once we're exclusive to me, you're my boyfriend or you're my girlfriend. It doesn't seem different to me than something else, but to that person, it might mean something. So you can even communicate what do those things mean and not just assume that you know that because you feel something about something, the person you're dating is going to feel that way too. So thank you to X May Linda X uh, for asking that question. For everyone else who submitted questions on Instagram, um, I look at them and maybe we'll talk about them in future shows as well. So I'll keep them in mind. So thank you to everyone who sent those my way. And the book of the week for this week, again, is Originals by Adam Grant. And another reminder to please send me your suggestions for books. I'm always looking for new books to read. So I appreciate everyone who sends those my way as well. All right, we've reached the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Amir here in the studio and to everyone listening out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Have a wonderful night. Mm-hmm.